God be our companion in life, that we may not be the instrument of our own or of another person's oppression. Amen. I'd like to thank the rector, Chris Wendell, and the people of St. Paul's Bedford for allowing me to record this sermon for the diocese here in this beautiful place in Bedford. A reading from Isaiah 56. Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love him, to be his servants, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Sunday Gospel readings for the past two weeks are about learning. We learn and the disciples learn who are with Jesus as these stories unfold. Indeed, the word disciple is a Greek word meaning student. We learn as students of Jesus's vision of God's reign. Two weeks ago in the gospel, we heard of the story of the feeding of the multitude in which Jesus tells them to gather what they've already have, which is very little. And then he says to his disciples, you feed these people. In other words, do not focus on your limitations. There are untold resources for those who live into God's promises and trust God. And so with meager fish and loaves, a multitude was fed. Last week in Matthew 14, we hear of Jesus wanting to get away from the crowds, and he gets in a boat. He gets on the Sea of Galilee just to be alone. But a storm wells up, and it rages, and his disciples were filled with terror. They were afraid for Jesus, and Jesus walks on the water. He says to them, come, walk with me. Don't focus on your fears. Don't focus on your anxiety. Look to me, come to me, and you will survive all the storms of life. And now in today's gospel, we learn again. But this time, I think Jesus in the second half of the gospel is more in the posture of the student than the teacher. And the teacher is a bodacious foreign woman. In today's gospel, once again, Jesus had gone to a place to seek some rest, some quiet, some prayer, to get away from it all. But this time he goes into a foreign territory where he is less well known. He goes to Lebanon. But he encounters a woman who has heard of him before. In fact, as he is now an immigrant, seeking relief at this time in Lebanon, he can't get away from his own fame. And she, a foreign woman, a non-Jew, a Gentile, addresses him in Jewish terms. She calls him son of David, son of David. I think we can learn a good deal about this woman from this short reading, but also we can learn a great deal from this woman. 
She is a woman who loves her daughter, who is ailing, who is sick, and she will go at any length to bring about healing for her daughter, even to speak to this Jewish teacher. She is a woman who is willing to take a risk, a big risk, crossing cultural, gender, and religious boundaries to even speak to a man of another race. It was a taboo for women. But she initiated her approach to Jesus. She is a woman who is once committed to a task, does not give up easily. She asks, she begs, she calls to him three times. And Jesus' disciples try to push her away. But she will not give up. And the last thing we know about her is that she is a woman who is in, in her culture, and sometimes still in this world, seen as subservient, inferior, not an equal, but rather an object. But we know that she is a woman with a quick wit and some sense of humor. For you see, in their interchange, Jesus was at first very gruff with her. He says to her after she begs healing for her daughter, I am not here for your people. And he makes the analogy about taking food away from children, that is, the Jewish people, and not giving them to dogs, her people. But she was able to come back with a playful response, saying, yes, but you know, even dogs eat crumbs that fall from the table. I can capture the twinkle in the eye of both Jesus and this woman as they have this interchange. And from it, Jesus is in the posture of learning not only about himself, but about this woman, about the heritage that he does carry around. And he immediately allies himself with the vision of the prophet Isaiah. For you see, Jesus' people, Israel, had had a tradition of exclusion and hostility to all that was foreign. But he hears within himself Isaiah, who represents an emerging voice of his time. Isaiah, though eight centuries previous, tells us that God cares nothing about race, national or ethnic identity, about citizenship or boundaries or labels or zip codes. God's reign of love is for all people. It embraces all of humanity. And God is building a house of prayer for all people among the people. Through history, we have had a hard time learning this lesson, that God's love is for all people. We've had a hard time learning this lesson as we see what's going on, not only in our national history, but in this present moment. We are conscious today of the divisive nature of race, political skip, skip spin, and religion. All are being used to deny access to basic human rights and needs, such as education and health care, especially during this pandemic. But throughout history, God has given us some bodacious women who refuse to submit to divisive, spiteful, and even violent uses of words, religion, or the bigoted governmental and political powers that be. 
two of these bodacious, bodacious women come to my mind, and they're from the 19th century. And I think of them as we come in two days, on August 18th, to the 100th anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment, allowing women to vote in this country. The first one is Sojourner Truth, a black woman like me, but she escaped slavery. She was proud, she was strong, she knew she was God's own child. She was a witness to justice, justice for all God's children. And she said at one time about women's suffrage and about women uniting to end slavery, she said, if the first woman God ever made Eve, was made strong enough to turn the world upside down all alone, these women together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. And now they are asking to do it. And the men better let them. The second woman that's come to my mind late, lately has been Jane Addams, the founder of the Settlement House Movement in my hometown of Chicago. She worked to create a sense of community among the most desperate classes of industrial Chicago. And she said, the things that make men alike are finer and better than the things that keep them apart. That these basic likenesses if they are properly accentuated, easily transcend the less essential differences of race, language, creed, and tradition. Jane was bodacious. Sojourner was bodacious, just as this woman of Lebanon was bodacious. Today, we need more bodacious women to speak to those who are bent on using fear and division in our country and in this world. We need them to speak to those who give us lies and misinformation rather than compassion and truth. We need them to speak up if we're ever going to address fully this pandemic that is raging in our country and the injustice to people of color. We should listen to bodacious women who speak God's truth is found in Isaiah. And we should not be afraid to assert ourselves that walls are not the way to build security. Prejudice is not the way to build a national identity. Denial is not a way to heal the racism and oppression in this land. Misinformation does not lessen the power of the COVID pandemic. The way to build a secure life, a secure nation, a secure world is to do justice and to practice mercy, to serve all of God's children equally, no matter what their gender, sexuality, race, color, creed, or national origin. We need more women like this bodacious woman of Lebanon who reminds us that God's love and healing power will not be confined to one race, one region, one nation. It's ironic that this woman is sort of an earlier voice of her sister Palestinian women who grieve the loss of their children in their homes. She's an earlier voice of the Latinas on our southern border, border separated from their children 
she is an earlier voice of black women across this nation for, for 400 years. They've been decrying the cruelties of bigotry. Mothers, wives, sisters, and daughters. She was a voice of those who are losing their loved ones to COVID. We need more bodacious women who will speak up, not give up, who are committed, who will show compassion, who will help us learn how to respect the dignity and integrity of all people if we're ever going to find our basic humanity in the likeness that we have. But we also need more than a few good men to help turn the leadership of this country from self-righteousness and vindictiveness and arrogance to show the real strength, the real might of our values as Christians and as Americans in the principles of our declaration and our constitution and in the ethics of our Bible, of our faith. We need to be bodacious for God's justice and compassion, truth and mercy if we're ever to pursue that which the Declaration of Independence has said over and over again, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we also need the youth to be bodacious to us. We need to listen to them who may have a vision that is much more powerful than anything we've already lived in. That the normal of the past cannot be the normal of the future. We must join with bodacious women who call on our leaders for justice. We must join with bodacious women all women who worship the God of Abraham, our brothers and our sisters, our Muslim, Jew, and Christian brothers and sisters, and offer more than crumbs. We must end the table of exclusion and open our hearts, open our doors, open our political system to the truth and justice of God. We must respond to the gospel that echoes the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples, for all peoples, for all peoples. To God be the glory, dominion, and power forever and ever. Amen.